Thank you for listening to the Cultivate Church audio podcast. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and motivated. Now here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. Come on, aren't you glad to be at church today? Come on, how ludicrous is that song, right? How, how dumb is that song? We're going to dive in today in some, uh, to some biblical principles on how we handle money. Before we move any further, come on, it's Veterans Day weekend. Can you help me honor our veterans today? Come on, can we put your hands together? Come on, aren't you grateful for people that sacrifice? Man, what, a, what, a, uh, what an incredible weekend to honor. So I, it, hopefully, this weekend, you're surrounded by a veteran and you do... You honor them, honor them, honor them, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, we're in week two of a series we've called All About the Benjamins. And I realize as you see it and as you hear it, it sounds as stupid as what we made it out to be. Maybe that's been your thought process, mind, as, as it relates to how resources and money and things and uh, has been approached from the local church and from the Bible. I want you to know today, I grew up in a church. I mean, I grew up in a family that didn't go to church. Um, we didn't read the Bible. We didn't pray before we had meals. We didn't really pray at all, really, unless there were major emergencies that happened in my life growing up. So our mentality, my father's mentality, my family's mentality, really, of church and money, we learned what we knew from televangelists. <laughs> so like what people, what we thought about how the church thought about money was what we saw primarily like on television a lot. And how many of you know that's kind of dumb? It's kind of stupid what they what's taught a lot of times. And and my my assumption is that probably that's true for many of us. So when we hear the church, when we hear people, when we hear God speak about money, instantly we think it's something as dumb as what we just played. <laughs> instantly we think um they just they want everything from me. But can I tell you the Bible teaches us that God doesn't want anything from us. He wants everything for us. He wants everything for us. And, as a, and as, a, as a byproduct of that desire, he teaches a lot on how we handle resources. Do you know the Bible talks about money directly over 800 times? And indirectly speaking, where, which meaning it's a story, but it indirectly mentions resources and stuff and things and, uh, and money. Over 2,200 verses in the Bible speak about that. Meaning it's probably important. It's probably valuable. We should probably listen to what he has to say. And this is, this is Brandon. This is Brandon speaking. My, my opinion, I think, the reason he speaks so much about it is, is found in our theme verse. But I think there are two things. There are two things in culture today that I feel like the enemy has done the best job at redefining over, our, over my lifetime. That's sex and money. I think that culture has redefined and retaught what that looks like so much that it's almost confusing to think that, you mean the Bible talks about those things? Because the church has been silent for so long. Did you know that God invented all of those things? It was his idea first. So today, if you've got your notes, I want you to go ahead and pull those out. We're going to read our theme verse. This is why God speaks so much about it, all right? This is why Scripture talks so much about our resources and why we should listen to what he has to say. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why God talks so much about it. It's why Scripture teaches so much about it. Why over 800 times would you mention it? Because He knows that you can't serve God and money. You have to have one God. 
as uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus, it's really a foreshadowing of the gospel, of, of being set free. And as Israel has been set free, they've been delivered from bondage. The first thing he gives them, what does he say? The first commandment, I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. That was his first thing. I want you to know, we're already in relationship. You've been set free. Please don't worship anything else. And I think God knows the, the, the thing in this world that has the most potential to pull our devotion away is our stuff, our things, resources, finances. So today I want to talk to you. Last week we opened up the series really just kind of talking about surrender. What does it look like for us to completely, as it relates to our resources and how we handle money and how we handle our finances and how we handle really everything in our life, Ultimately, it depends on, do I, am I fully surrendered? Jesus, do I, will, will I follow you as Lord? We all want a Savior, but will I follow you as Lord of my life? And we talked about just laying down our lives and saying, God, we're not going to serve two masters. We're going to serve you first. Because what we do with our earthly resources is an incredible indicator of what we will do with our spiritual resources. What we will do with our spiritual resources. So what does it look like for us to handle spiritual resources well, the American dream kind of started out as something awesome, this great experiment, didn't it? It was this great experiment that started out with, of the idea that everybody has a right to pursuit of happiness. Around the 1920s, the American dream started morphing from the right to create a better life to the desire to acquire material things. So, this, so it morphed into this. The way that I can prove that I'm pursuing a better life is to show that I have more things. Now it's kind of called keeping up with the Jones. Keeping up with the Joneses. Like if they've got it, if my neighbor has it, I need to have it. Everybody needs to think that I've got it all together. And how I prove that I have it all together is by the amount of things and stuff that I can show that I have. And throughout the years, the nation's leaders, really, they verbalized the evolution of that dream. And today, we're going to talk about how that contrasts with Scripture. The joy that comes from Jesus has nothing to do with what's in my hands. It has everything to do with what's in my heart. And the way I handle resources and what God calls me to do with it, it really, He doesn't care what is in our hands, what that looks like. He cares what has our heart. So today I'm going to talk to you about three things. Uh, we're going to contrast them. We're going to call one the American dream or culture's dream. What does that look like? And then we're going to talk about what it looks like to do it God's way, God's dream, God's uh, principles. And I believe we'll leave here today with some things, tangible, practical things that can help us honor Him with our lives, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our notes. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your, um, your, your presence. Man, thank you for today, right now, in this moment. Um, I recognize how easy it is that we could literally be in your presence and still miss you. Over and over and over again, we see in Scripture where people were surrounded by you, yet didn't see you, didn't feel you, didn't experience you even while you were walking on this earth. So God, I pray that today that would not happen for us, that we recognize that we're here in this moment in your presence and that we wouldn't miss you. So do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts, perform spiritual surgery on our souls, and God, allow us to walk out of this place today knowing that we've met with you, God, and um, uh, with the ability and passion and desire to live a life on purpose that honors you. You'll get all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, this is, uh, anybody, anybody got kids in here? We got kids? Come on, parents, parents or kids. Some of y'all, some of y'all brave enough. Some of y'all kind of embarrassed by it. I don't know. Um, wouldn't we all agree that it's just natural for our kids early on to just act a certain way? 
Like, does anybody, has anybody ever experienced a toddler that was naturally like, or, or a baby that was just naturally incredibly polite, unbelievable manners, asked for everything politely, like managed their attitudes well, and it was just like, man, that is unbelievable. No, we've all got kids. I've got a three-year-old, his name's Shepard, and uh, my daughter's nine, and you know she's a little beyond this stage, thank God, now. But like we've all got that stage where you know they naturally, they call it terrible twos, now it's kind of morphed into even that, right? Worse, like what do they even call it now? It's like worse than that, it's, two, it's twos and threes where they go through these stages of just seeing something and instantly they got to what? Have it. And if you don't move fast enough, what happens? They lose their minds, don't they? Like they lose their minds. It is, you know, Shepherd comes in every morning and he'll, uh, he, you know, he is a, like, he loves his mom infinitely more than he loves me. And I'm not bitter about that yet, but I kind of am. Uh, I mean, he loves her, but he comes in and he, and he says, mom, I'm hungry. That's how he says it. I'm hungry. And, uh, and, and, and he, all, he eats oatmeal every day. He's a creature of habit. And uh, I want some oatmeal. And, you know, if she doesn't move fast enough out of the bed to get it, like, he lets her know, Mom, I'm hungry! You know, like, then he just kind of morphs into this little Tasmanian devil kind of thing. And, like, all kids are that way. And we're in our minds like, how do we, we got to fix this. And your, your goal is to, over time, train them out of that so they can become reasonable, like, like people in society. Because how dumb does it look for a 16-year-old to walk in a room somewhere and like do that and act a fool? Or a 30-year-old to walk in a room and do that and act a fool? Like There's these principles that are naturally ingrained in all of us. And I'm going to show it to you today from Genesis chapter 3, that it happens to all of us. And though we might ingrain it out of ourselves, though we may be taught out, out, of, uh, out of that mentality some, in some ways, it kind of follows us in a lot of ways materialistically. So number one, the American dream, here's, how, here's the progress, the progression of what it looks like. The first thing is when I see it. I see it. I see it. This happens in Genesis chapter 3. We see it. Uh, the enemy convinces Eve of it. We see that this whole story, we've talked about this before, um, like they've, God's given them everything. He says, it's all yours. Cultivate it and use it, multiply. It's all yours. I'm going to bless you with it. And then the enemy comes in and he, and he said, but he said, all I want you to do is don't eat from this tree. All right, good. Sounds great. And then the enemy comes in and says, the serpent was more shrewd than anyone else. It was, uh, he was uh, than anyone else in the garden. And he comes in and tries to convince her. And, she's, and he goes, hey, you're not going to die if you do that. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you Eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The number uh, verse six. You want to underline this part. The woman was convinced and saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. Its fruit looked delicious. Has anybody ever like like instant like something like a bad decision you've made that ended up a bad decision on the back end? We've talked about this before in sin. Nobody walks into sin thinking. This is the dumbest, worst decision I've ever made, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? No, it, it always looks good on the front end. On the front end, you're like, man, that's awesome. This is going to be great. I'm going to do it. And then you like realize the consequences on the back end. Same difference with our resources. Nobody purchases something that was a horrible decision on the front end and go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Here's my money. Take it anyway, right? Like We all like it. It looks good. Here's a principle that I've learned in my life, though, that if my mind isn't made up before my eyes see it, I'm probably going to be in trouble. Probably going to do something I shouldn't have done. My truck was 
um, had the, a part that went bad and had to put it in the shop a number of weeks ago, a few weeks back. And it was under warranty, so they put it in, and, and as a result, they gave me a loaner vehicle. And how many of you know, like if you go and you have to get work done, they're not going to give you a hoopty as a loaner vehicle because they're trying to convince you to get, they're trying to like want to sell you on something. So they gave me the nicest truck I've, I, I've ever sat in. And it was awesome. Guys, it had amenities that I didn't even know existed in 2019. Like it had some cool things. And if you know me, some of you know me pretty well, I don't have the greatest reputation in driving. So like I was backing out of um, a driveway and my back and my, my left butt cheek started vibrating. Like, whoa. And then I felt, I was like, well, maybe my phone's in my pocket. Somebody called. No, my phone's sitting over there. Y'all, it tells you from which direction something is coming so that you won't hit it. And instantly I thought, you know what I thought? Man, I need that. Like, I need. And some of y'all are like, that's not really a need. You know how I drive. That is a need. You know what I'm saying? I need that. And like, there was all kinds of cool, incredible amenities. But I had already made up my mind. The guy came to me. He's like, listen, don't get used to this. It's a real expensive truck. It's like triple the price of your vehicle. I was like, bro, you ain't got to worry about it. I am good. There was a season in my life where that would have affected me because I learned a principle. If I don't make up my mind now, when I'm placed in the decision-making process, chances are I'm going to do something dumb. Same way with sin, it needs to happen with our resources. I've made up my mind that whatever I see is not going to affect the decision that I make in that moment. I love dogs. We got any dog lovers in here, dog, dog fans? How about cats? Cat fans, cat fans? All right, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that cat fans are still on their journey to meeting Jesus. You know what I mean? Like they're still trying to figure that part out. Because you know, y'all know this, right? It's been scientifically proven that cats... Every cat, domestic cats, if they were big enough, they would eat us all. They want to eat us. That's their job. Like That's what they want to do. That's what they think. So I don't trust many cats. My daughter loves cats. Like She loves them. Thank God my wife is allergic to cats, so I don't, I don't think I'll ever have to walk through that. But I love dogs, and I remember wanting a dog really, really bad, and my wife, she didn't love animals as much as any of us love animals. So it was a hard it was a hard convincing her. And then one day, I don't know, I caught her in a moment of weakness. Some friends of ours, missionaries to Ecuador were moving. They couldn't take their dog with them. And they popped up a picture and I took that. And at the right moment, I showed it to her. And I mean, she was beautiful. I mean, our dog, she's a St. Bernard. I mean, she is awesome. And uh, like something happened in a moment of weakness. And my wife was like, oh, she's beautiful. Yeah, you can have her. We can get her. And she's regretted that ever since. Like, ever since that moment, she has regretted that. And now we're in a season where I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince her of another dog. Like, we, we love a specific dog, and I'm, like, trying to convince. But my wife now has learned that principle. I'm, my mind is made up before I get into the moment of emotion. I, I'm not going to make a dumb decision now because that's what happens. We see it, number two. It's beautiful, and we want it. We want it because it looks good. And it, man, I, I can tell you 120 things that I could do with it in the moment, right? It's going to be so awesome. It's going to make my life so much better. Genesis 3, 6, and that's what happened. She saw it. It was beautiful, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. Come on. It's a want. Like, instantly, it's beautiful, and I want it. Come on, toddlers. Anybody got a toddler? But I I want it. 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 I mean, you're like, you say y'all want it one more time. I'm going to kick you, right? Like we've been there. 
Right? We've been there. Put tape on their mouths. Like, stop. You can't walk in. You can't walk through the store without them screaming that they want it, they want it, they want it. And we think how dumb that is. But check this out. Check this out. A study conducted by CNBC stated that on average, meaning this, the average person in this room, in our country, spends $5,400 a year on impulse buys. $5,400 a year. Who would say, man, I can do a lot of things with $5,400. We do a lot of things, and we don't even know what it is. Like, is it... I was walking through the grocery store the other day in Walmart, and they have these end caps. I was like, end caps were created for suckers like me. So on this end cap were head massagers. Anybody ever seen one of those? It's like wired. You know what I'm talking about? And you like it scrubs your. It's the. I mean, it is awesome. It's incredible. A dollar. I'm like, man, I'm gonna buy ten. You know what I mean? Like, it's impulse, man. That looks awesome. Ooh, that feels good. I'm gonna like. It's there. You want it. You desire it. Do you know that 75% of sales in an average supermarket are made in 15 seconds or less? It means you didn't want it. You had no desire to get it when you walked in, but something, something attached to your emotions. It looked good and you wanted it. 60% of all sales in a supermarket are on impulse buys. The majority of sales in our economy are designed to take advantage of our impulses. I see it, it looks good, and I wanted it. Design, billions of dollars of a year are designed to take advantage of us acting like our two-year-olds. <laughs> like billions of dollars a year are designed around us seeing something, thinking it's good, and wanting it. Because most people generally purchase things with their emotions, with how I feel. So I see it, it looks good, I want it, number three, I get it, I take it. That's how, we, that's how, that's how easy it is, that's how come we spend $5,400 a year. Because with our kids, it's easy for us to go, no, you can't have ice cream today at 7 o'clock in the morning for breakfast, because that's not good for you. Like we see that and rationalize how that's a bad decision to make. However, who is going to tell us no? I'm a grown man. I spend what I want to spend. I work hard for my money. I get it if I want to, right? I deserve it. Anybody ever heard that? You ever told yourself that? Worked hard for it. I deserve it. This is me rewarding myself. I take it. Genesis 3-7. She loved it. Beautiful. She wanted it. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Come on, there is nothing more in line with the way culture teaches than that. Culture says, if you want it, get it. If it feels good, do it. Come on, that's, that's culture. Buy now, pay later. Always cost more. That's not what it teaches us, right? If it feels good, do it was the first advice the devil gave Eve. First thing he ever told her. The deal with doing anything in my emotions is that it never takes the future into consideration, does it? Never. Anybody ever been in an argument and you said something you wish you hadn't said? Like you didn't say that in the moment because you were in consideration of the future. Oh, if I say this, it's not going to be good. I'm going to be sleeping on the couch for a month. You don't think that, right? In the moment you think, mm, this is good. And then you reap the benefits of it. In the moment she did not take into consideration 
the future of what would happen. She loved it, wanted it, and she took it. Luke 14, 25 through 35. You can write that reference down. It's a scripture. It's a, it's a story that Jesus talks about and says, hey, only a fool would, would start a project, would build a home, would build a tower, and not count the cost, not consider the future. Only a fool would go into this and make decisions and not consider the future. But the reality is, if you're like me at all, and my, my assumption is probably many of us are, there's been many times in my own life that I've not considered the future in, my, in how I handle my resources. There's been a lot of times in my life that I had lots of regrets over how I handled what God blessed me with. So what can I do? What are some principles? There's three principles I want to share with you. I teach my kids this now. I wish I would have known this sooner. There are three principles that I teach my kids that are biblical principles on how God calls us. Last week, week one, we talked, we learned this principle that it's not mine, it's God's. I don't own it, I get to manage it. So, okay, God, I'm, you've called me as a manager. Surely there's some instruction on how I should manage it, right? There is. So, number one, save it. I've got three jars in my daughter's room and, uh, and we go through this all of the time. There's a save jar. There's three jars. The first one's a save it. It's a biblical principle. Genesis 41. Come on, God. Calls Joseph uh, into this great, incredible uh, dream. And Joseph spends most of his life, uh, a large sum of his life, preparing for this moment. And he has wisdom, supernatural wisdom in Genesis 41. This is what he tells Pharaoh. Should The Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all of the crops during seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. What's he doing? He's saving it. Store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine uh, come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this one's huge, you want to underline it, if you don't, the famine will destroy the land. Come on. If you don't do this, you will be destroyed. And I love this. He didn't say, just in case. He didn't say, store it away in case something bad happens. He said, store it away for when something bad happens. Can I tell you, anybody ever heard of Murphy's Law? If it can happen, it what? Come on, it will happen. It will happen. And I can promise you, I am a perfect case example of what that looks like. I grew up in a perfect case example of what that looks like. You ever been where there, anybody ever else uh, ever been in a situation where there's more month than money? Like I grew up, my whole life there was always more month than money. <laughs> I just thought that's what it was. They're like there's always going to be more month than money. The problem with my faith as I've grown and listened to God's word is that was contrasting to what Jesus promised. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. Malachi in the Old Testament says, test me and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and give you more than you need. See, it's a principle in God's word that he gives us more than enough. So if I don't have more than enough, does that mean God lied? No, it means that something happened with the more than enough that he gave me, and it's not enough. Why? Because chances are I didn't save. I didn't save. I saw it. It looked good. I wanted it, so I got it. I got it. There's no, there's no consideration of the future. 
the, the principle of saving considers the future. The principle of saving considers that something could happen. Now, instead of if I... So our, my principle is, our principle in our family now is, uh, Isabella, if you get a dollar, you're going to save 10%. You're going to save 10%. Say, well, that's hard. Well, maybe it's hard now. It was hard for me at one time. You know why? Because I didn't have 10%. It was already pre, uh, it was already pre-done, pre-spun. So I have to, I had to start somewhere. So I started saving 2%. I started saving. There was a season in my life where I could only save 1%. There was a season in my life with my wife and our marriage that we could literally only save $3 out of every. Now you look at that and you go, well, that's futile. That's stupid. $3, what's that going to do? It begins to start a principle in your life. It starts somewhere, right? So we started saving $3. We just started putting something back for a rainy day. And that grew because we began to live by principle and not by circumstance. It was a principle in our life. The only way you'll ever get ahead is to pay yourself. The only way you'll ever get ahead. Saving money is the only way to begin to create margin between you and Murphy's Law. It's it. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21 and 20. Write this down. It says that the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store it up, fools gulp it down. So what does it look like? Maybe right now in your own life, what would it look like if you sat down and said, okay, we're going to just start somewhere. It's a principle of God's Word. I'm going to start here, and every time I get paid, I'm going to save this, right? Number two, this one's going to be good. It gets better. Number two, spend it. So she's got a save it jar, and we have a spend it jar. Spend it. God's not anti us spending money. Y'all know that, right? Sometimes when we hear about like resources in church, all we think is, well, I don't want me, like God don't want me to be happy. He don't want me to enjoy life. No, no, no. He teaches us to be happy. First Timothy, he wants us to enjoy it. Six verse seventeen, he says, "Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and not to put their trust in money, which is so unreliable." He just doesn't want us to trust it. Their trust should be in God. Listen, underline this. This is huge. Who richly gives us all that we need. Why? For our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy resources. He gives us more than we need so that we can enjoy it. There's reasons. There's a couple of reasons. There's two reasons why I think we have resources. One, basic human needs. We all need to pay our bills. There needs to be a roof over my head, and my family needs food. Basic human needs, right? There's another that, so that I can enjoy life. He also provides more than enough for our enjoyment. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It's not, on the, not in your notes. Write that, that reference down. It says, For you to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then, and listen, it doesn't say that He'll then just give us enough. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be will uh, will brim over with new wine. What's he saying? Begin to save, begin to spend according like principles of God's word, and you will enjoy, enjoy, enjoy spending. I can only truly enjoy resources that I've managed well. Do you know that? I can really only truly enjoy resources that I've managed well. And once I begin to save, and once I begin to live biblically, and once I begin to live under my means, meaning this, the average, the average American in our culture, in our, in our country, the average person spends 140% of their income every year. You're like, well, the math doesn't work out. Absolutely, it doesn't work out. We spend more than we make. 
And that's a problem. It's why we struggle. It's why everything's an emergency. And Jesus is saying, begin to live. God's saying, live under your means. I give you more than you need. Stop going above and beyond that. Live under your means. So I save it. I spend it. I enjoy. And then number three, I give. Give it. He continues in 1 Timothy. It's for your enjoyment. Don't put your trust in money. Put your trust in God who richly gives us all we need for your enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in doing good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. True life. This is what I've learned in my faith journey as it relates to resources. That when every time I have an opportunity to be generous, it's an investment in eternity. It's the one thing that I'll do with anything physical in my life that I will see results for in eternity. That one day when this world ends, I will see the benefits of it. It's what I've learned. Generosity, it's never been about what's in my hand. It's always been about what's in my heart. So you may be here today and you go, yeah, Brandon, but you don't understand. You don't understand where I'm at and what it looks like and what the math. Can I t- Listen, not, th- the math may not work in your head right now, but I promise you if I'll stop living circumstantially and start living on the principle of God's Word, I will begin to see the truth that God richly provides more than we need. Why does He give us more than we need? So that we can bless those that are in need. He trusts, if He can trust me with my little, I promise you, I'll begin to experience the more than enough. It's a biblical principle that if He can trust me with what I have, He'll give us more than we need so that we can be a blessing to the world. Hey, I want to pray with you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? In this moment, right where we are, maybe you just pray this. Lord, And what do I need to do with this Word? Last week, we talked about Surrender. Surrender. All right, I'm surrendering. This week we talked about some tangible ways that I can surrender. I can begin to honor Jesus with my life. He richly provides more than we need. I begin to live out principles according to His Word. Can I tell you today that there's nobody rooting for your success more than God? Nobody. There's no one who would love to see unbelievable success in your family than Jesus. That's why he tells us how. There's there's tangible hows on what that looks like. I want you to know today that the potential of what God could do through you in your community, in your family, in your resources, in your business... It's connected to your ability to submit to Him as Lord. And today, He's saying, giving you more than you need, save it. I'm not saying there, there may be a rainy day coming. There is a rainy day coming. Jesus said, I, hey, hey, I told you this so you can have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That doesn't exclude our finances. That includes our finances. In this world, you will have trouble. Tires are going to break. Kids are going to get sick. Doctor's reports are going to happen. Things, washing machines are going to go out. 
Roofs are going to leak. People are going to have needs. It's going to happen. So let's take what we have and let's give it to God and say, God, how do I use this for your glory? Father, I pray in Jesus' name for my friends today. I know there are friends in here today that they can't trust you with their resources because they haven't given you their heart first. So I'm going to invite you to pull that connect card out. And on it says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Maybe right now you need to make a fresh commitment. Maybe for the, long, for the first time in a long time, you're making a fresh commitment on your life to Jesus. And it's an indicator. How I handle my, my physical world is how good indicator, a replica of what it looks like spiritually. So Father, I, I, I just we confess that we're just going to submit our physical lives to you today. Take control. God, help us. Give us wisdom, understanding on how to live biblical principles. We're going to stop living by circumstance and necessity. We're going to start living by principles. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. You promised in your word that more than enough would come. And so, God, we confess our hearts to you today. We pray that you would forgive us of all of our sins. God, that you would do what your word promises, that you would throw them as far as the east is from the west. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for restoration. And for my friends here today, God, they've trusted you as their Savior. But now they're walking this thing out. They're beginning to learn what it looks like to trust you as their Lord. God, I pray that you take lordship over all of our lives. That we begin to experience the more than enough life that you've promised us. So that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to work in our spheres of influence for the kingdom. So I pray favor over every business. I pray favor over every family. I pray favor over all of our jobs, all of our resources, so that we can be a city on a hill and a a light that can't be hidden to the world around us. Jesus, thank you for trusting us to bring the gospel to the nations. God, I pray that you get all the glory out of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate that today? Come on, people saying yes to Jesus.